So speaking of bringing home, I just came back. I've been gone. Uh, I love to travel. I don't know if anyone else likes to travel, but I really enjoy traveling. Um, I don't really care where I go. I just like to go on a good road trip. I like to fly on an airplane. I'm one of those weird people that enjoys flying on a plane. A lot of people that have to fly don't like to fly. They're just like, what in the world? Why would you want to get on a tube and just go up into the air and sit there? And I just, I enjoy flying on airplanes. I enjoy uh, trains. I love to, to go on a train ride. There's nothing better than a little trip on a train. Uh, but what I like about, as, as much as I like those things, what I like the most is always coming home. Yeah. Coming home, there's no matter uh, where I've been, whether it's just for a day, a day trip somewhere to come. I just love coming home. I love coming into my house. Like as you see the garage door open, it's like, yeah, I'm home. And you come in your front door, your, your side door, and you come into your bedroom and you're like, oh yeah, this is my place. It's your, your bedroom, your bed, your bathroom. There's just something about coming home. And I bring that up because right here in, in chapter 21, we're in the midst of this homecoming. We're in the midst of, of this final allotment of land to the Levites. And we see a couple of things that happen here. And I want to read to you uh, just at the end of Joshua chapter 21 verses 43 uh, through 45. And this is what it says. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. Just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so we, we've, we've been talking for a couple of weeks now about the allotment of land, the inheritance as it's been given out tribe by tribe, uh, clan by clan, family by family. And now uh, through verse chapters 21, uh, we get to this place where the Levites, who are the last ones, Joshua got his land, and then the Levites are allotted where they're going to be. And, and so here we are, and, and I love this right here where it says, and the Lord gave them rest on every side. Uh, it's a time. There's a season for things. And this was their season of rest. And, and finally, this homecoming that they'd all been waiting for for 40 years. Uh, some even longer than that. Some of them have been waiting on this for a long time. The Levites have now been given their allotments. The two and a half tribes of, of, um, uh, are headed over uh, back home across the Jordan. There's rest on every side. No more enemies from without, which is a good thing. But it would seem when we look at Joshua chapter 22 that there might be something lurking from within. Dun, dun, dun. You see, before we get into Joshua 22 though, I read a story this last week about a lady. And I think that this story sums up this chapter 22. And it goes like this. There was a, a woman who decided that she was going to take her lunch break. She worked in a downtown area and she said she was going to take her lunch break in a cafe across the street from her workplace. And so on her way out, she bought a small package of cookies from the vending machine and she picked up a newspaper and she went across to the cafe and after finding a booth, she ordered a cup of coffee and she settled down to just read her paper and enjoy her lunch hour in solitude. Well, before long, she became aware of someone staring across from her. You know that feeling where you're, you're intently doing something and 
you look over and there's somebody staring at you. If you're a pet owner, it's usually your dog <laughs> or your cat wanting something. But in this case, there was a older gentleman, an elderly man sitting across from her. And, and she thought, oh, not a big deal. The cafe's kind of crowded. I'm just here having a coffee and some cookies and reading my paper. He won't bother me. I won't bother him. Well, then she hears that ever familiar sound of the crinkling cellophane of her package of cookies being opened. She peers across her newspaper at him and he, he nods at her and smiles and pops one of her cookies right into his mouth and begins to chew it up. And she thought, well, the nerve of him. So she reaches across the table and pulls her cookies back over and she eats one just to send a message and goes back to reading her paper. Well, soon she heard the rattle of the cellophane again as her unwelcome neighbor took yet another cookie. How dare he repeat this crime? So she stretches across the table and snatches it back. She takes out two cookies, shoves them in her mouth and frantically eats them with even more zeal than the first time just to make her point. She then tries to focus on her newspaper reading and the national events. And, but to her horrors, he was at it again. He ate yet another one of her cookies. She could take no more of this. And so she grabbed the, the nearly empty cookie wrapper and she ate the last cookie. The elderly man smiled and stood up and nodded and picked up the trash and walked away. Well, glad to be rid of him. She went back to reading her paper and mumbling to herself about people with a lot of nerve and about a mostly frustrating and wasted lunch hour. As she saw her time, she got up and tucked the paper under her arm, got the check for her coffee, and as she went to the cashier, she contemplated complaining to the manager about the type of people that would just come into a restaurant and sit down and eat someone else's food and about this older gentleman who helped himself to her cookies. But as she reached into her purse to get her wallet, she heard that familiar rattling of the cellophane and realized that indeed that was his package of cookies that she had just frantically eaten. Uh, to her embarrassment, obviously, she assumed he had been eating her cookies. She was angry over a simple misunderstanding. And you know, this has always been the problem with mankind. It was a problem with the nation of Israel. It's a problem with our culture today. And in Joshua chapter 22, we see that even after all these great victories, we see that at what should have been a time of celebration, a homecoming, a hallelujah moment, they find themselves in a situation that could have led up to a civil war among the nation of Israel because of assumption and misunderstanding. I found in my life that we can avo avoid most misunderstandings if we simply take the time to honestly seek the truth in the situation. Unfortunately, back then and even today, changes often lead to misunderstanding. It didn't start out that way. It started out with words of encouragement. I challenge you to read Joshua chapter 22 because he starts off and then you're going to get my summary of Joshua chapter 22 right now. Uh, first off, verses 1 through 8. It goes like this. They've had these major battles. They've all been won, except for one small skirmish that because of Achan, they lost. Their major battles have all been won. The land has been divided. Joshua then has some words of encouragement that he wants to impart to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh before they head home back across the Jordan. It had been seven years since those two and a half tribes, those warriors, those fighting men, left their homes, left their families to fulfill their promise to fight the Canaanites. 
Remember, these two and a half tribes didn't take their inheritance in the land with the other tribes. They asked to remain on the east side of the Jordan River. And so Joshua, first off, he commends them in verses 1 through 3 for keeping their promise. He says, well done. Then he discharges them from their service in verse 4. He says, go home. He also does this in verse 5. He admonishes them to be diligent in worship and to be obedient to God. And then finally, he blesses them. And he reminds them, as you go back, Share the spoils of war with those who remained behind protecting and caring for your family while you were gone. That's verses 6 through 8. Now here's some lessons we can learn from these verses. First off, Christian, be true. Be true to your word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Be true to your word. Be totally obedient to God. Wholly obedient to God. There's also a lesson here about being committed to what God has called you to do. You see, my opinion here, in our culture today, commitment is a dirty word to some folks. We want to enjoy the benefits of a life blessed by God, but without making a commitment to Him. Others make a commitment, but quit along the way, giving up before they actually finish the task and then and wonder, well, where's my blessing? Where's my inheritance? You see, these tribes, these two and a half tribes had spent over seven years of their lives at the task they promised to do. They didn't stop until that task was finished. And there's also a lesson here about sharing in the blessings of service. Listen, not everyone was called. Not everyone had to go and fight alongside the nation of Israel. They all are instructed to receive the spoils of war here though. I think in church life, the same happens today. Not everyone can be involved in every ministry, but we can all rejoice in the blessings because every one of us supplies a necessary part to the whole body. We're all a part of this local body of Christ. When we all do our part, no matter how big or how small, we all share in the blessings of God. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 tells us this. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, when we are working properly, the body grows and builds itself up in love. And so what happened here in Joshua 22, verses 9 through 10? Here's what it says. Joshua 22, verses 9 through 10 says this. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. In case you're wondering, uh, imposing, the Greek word there is very much large. All right? It was a big altar. So let's consider it this way. Leaving Shiloh, the armies of the eastern tribes are headed home. They're excited to go home. They've been away from home. They've been fighting uh, and they've been given their, their release papers, if you will. As they approach the Jordan River, I can only imagine that their minds are probably 
flooded with memories of the things that God has done for them during that seven years. How about the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River seven years earlier where they all walked across on dry land? Or maybe some of the remarkable victories over like nearby Jericho and some of the other battles and victories they shared with their brothers in arms that they had just left. I think that they also took to heart the charge that Joshua gave them in verse 5 about worshiping God well. And right there, they decided they're going to build a huge altar. One that could be seen from a great distance. One that would bear witness to generations to come. Now folks, here's what they knew from tradition and history. Before we kind of hack on them a little bit, we, we need to understand where they come from. I think it helps us understand the why. They knew their culture. And according to their culture, their true basis of their identity was their common worship centered on the sacrifices of the altar. Here's what they overlooked. Sometimes what we intend as something good somehow turns into something else. This is where the misunderstanding happens. Uh, I also want to read this. I want to read verse 11 uh, before, as we continue on. Verse 11 says, And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. One, they built this altar. Two, they didn't build it on their own side. They built it on our side. If they'd have built it on the other side of the river, or the other side of the tracks, yeah, maybe it wouldn't have bothered them so much. But they built it on, the, on their side. And that's what it starts off with. And here's the thing. It all starts off with two deadly words. Well, here it's three. Heard it said. I'm going to shrink it down to two. Here, say. I'm going to make it even simpler. There's two other words it reminds me of. Gossip. That, that's southern when you make one word, two words. Gossip. It all starts with those deadly words. You see, the other tribes became greatly offended at the actions of the two and a half tribes here. Many people get offended by what we hear because we just assume the worst. It seems like that's our nature, to assume the worst. Why is that? Well, more times than we'd like to admit, we naturally assume that what we hear, our assumptions about something are true. You see, the tribes, before they have this conversation, they're ready to go to war with their brothers because of what they assumed to be true. Verse 12, uh, the, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh were guilty of unwise actions. I'll give you that. It maybe wasn't the smartest thing to do to do it without talking to Joshua first or, or the elders of all the tribes. Without explanation, they erected this huge altar where the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. And they did it without explaining the why to the other tribes. And so to these other tribes, from a distance, it looked like they were putting up an altar in competition with a memorial that had already been erected by the Lord to commemorate the crossing of the Jordan. The mistake was on the part of the other tribes who quickly jumped to conclusions. Have any of you ever done that? Anyone? No, just me. Okay, thank you. There's three honest people in the room. Uh, thank you all. We do, we jump to conclusions and that's what happened here. They see him building this altar and they jump to conclusions about it without first investigating and knowing the facts. You see, in fact, they actually became belligerent about it. They gathered their warriors. That's what the Bible says. They gathered their warriors at Shiloh to go to war against the two and a half tribes of, of uh, Israel. The delegation from Shiloh, you'll read about it in verses 13 through 20. This group charges them with turning away and rebelling against God. 
They didn't say, why did you create an altar? Why did you do it? They went right at them and said, hey, you did this. You're rebelling against God. You're turning away from God. Now, to their credit, this is a moment of accountability. And I always say no one likes accountability, whether it's brought to you well or brought to you in an accusing manner. But they remind them of God's judgment where people had previously followed Baal. They reminded them of God's judgment about Achan and the hidden sin and how that resulted in many people suffering. And so they, they came, I think, with good intentions, but with bad information. We do that sometimes. We don't know the whole of the story. And, and the resolution happens here. It, it began with taking the time to get the facts. Matter of fact, there's an old, uh, I like to call it a fat rock canyon proverb that says, a little investigation will put an end to much misunderstanding. There's wisdom in that. You can look that proverb up on Wikipedia maybe. But it was true then for Israel and it's still true today for us. A little investigation can put an end to an awful lot of misunderstanding. You see, we make too many assumptions based on what we've heard and not what we actually know. We, it's easier for me to just take what you say to me and be like, oh, well, Lillian said that and she would never mislead me, so it must be true. But someone may have misled Lillian. You see, if someone doesn't care enough about the truth to seek it out, well, then they ought to just keep quiet. If they hadn't taken the time to investigate the actions of the two and a half tribes, there would have been a bloody civil war shortly after this great homecoming that they should have all been celebrating. Everyone is going home to their own tents, to their own beds, to their own places. Some of them were their own new places. Some of them were established. But everybody's going home. And they were this close to fighting another battle. It seems like we often are, we're more eager to fight amongst them ourselves. We're like that. We'd rather fight amongst ourselves than do battle against the real enemy. But let's hear the other side of the story. Verse 21 through 29 goes like this. The two and a half tribes that have been accused come with humility. They make it very clear. They say, hey, we're not setting up a rival religion. We're, we're not setting up an altar to be used for sacrifice. That's not the purpose of this. They're, we're putting up a witness that would remind all the tribes on both sides of the Jordan that Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh are still a part of the Jewish nation. Uh, if there's one thing we can say about the Jewish nation in that time, they quickly forgot things. You recall, they left Egypt and are now free. And, and in a short amount of time, they're saying to Moses, uh, why did you bring us out here so that we could die? We were better off. At least we had food in our pots as slaves. See, the, the nation was quick to forget. And so I don't really blame the two and a half tribes for wanting to put up a witness that would remind the tribes west of the Jordan that Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were still part of the Jewish nation. The altar was a replica, if you will, of the Lord's altar. It, it, wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't for sacrifice. It wasn't intended... To, to be for sacrifice. It was intended to be a memorial that would testify to the future generations that the eastern tribes were indeed just as much a part of the nation of Israel as the western tribes. Note the response of the two and a half tribes uh, in these charges. They didn't respond in anger. They, they didn't even um, try to defend themselves. They just simply said, hey, if this is what you see, then let the Lord deal with us as he may because that was not our intent and, and instead of giving it in anger 
their response was given in sincerity and in humility. You know, Proverbs 15:1 says that a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And, and that, that, the two and a half tribes, they could have said anything in the world, but instead they said, hey, you know what? We, we get where you're coming from, but that's not what we were doing here. And the eastern tribes, they weren't trying to hide anything. They weren't trying to lie or to cover up what they had done. They were open and honest about what they had built and their intentions behind it. Well, I'll say this, building an altar, a large altar, bigger than the initial one, probably wasn't the smartest thing they could have done. Their intentions in doing so were honorable. And they were able to settle that issue. They were able to put it to rest in verses 30 through 34. See, the answer the eastern tribes gave to the leaders of Israel was acceptable. They were reassured there were no, no ill intentions here. And, and, and nothing that the western tribes needed to take action on. So the leaders returned to the other side of the Jordan. They informed the western tribes that the rumors were false. That they, they put an end to any further misunderstanding. And in response to that news... The nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan were glad and they praised God. The eastern tribes called the altar a witness between the tribes on both sides of the Jordan that the Lord is the true God. So what does that mean for us today? First off, I think it means we could spend a lot more time celebrating good things like homecomings and receiving our inheritance from the Lord than we do arguing about other things. How about maybe what it means for us today is that when we have a misunderstanding, whether that's with another person or within our family or even in the church, if we're hearing rumors about something, well, we go check it out for ourselves. You know, the best way to do this is to invite someone who's maybe telling the rumors to go with you to talk about it with the people that are involved. You see, if we care about the person or the situation, if we care about the church, if we care about the bride of Christ, we will want to be sure to put an end to needless rumors and to misunderstandings. We need to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Our world has enough problems in it that it should never come from the church. We need to make sure that we have our facts right before we take any kind of action. We need to be able to have an open and honest discussion in a spirit of gentleness, not arrogance. You see, they had an honest discussion, but it started with, what are you people doing? You built this altar. What's wrong with you? You're going to cause God's wrath on all of us. They were losing their minds for a second. They're like, no. We need to be able to have an open, honest discussion in a spirit of gentleness and arrogance. That's what accountability is. If we find that it, uh, it was a misunderstanding. Then we need to put all that to rest and make sure that the issue is settled. You see, what's in a person's heart will ultimately be revealed in how they respond to the truth. If someone is truly seeking what is right and what is best for the body believers, they will rejoice when a problem has been resolved. But if their intentions are not right to begin with, they'll never be happy with the answers that they receive. They will look for other reasons to bring discord among the community and the church. And I say all of that to say, as we come to our response time this morning, consider where your celebrations may have been trumped by someone's misunderstandings in the past. Has that ever happened to you? Consider whether you'll be like Joshua when it does happen, who in his faith, he sought out the truth of the situation. Or will you be like the other tribal leaders who made assumptions, who acted with rash decisions? Folks, we... As we respond to God's word today, we need to find reasons to unite and celebrate rather than to argue and divide. 
We are the called out ones. We are called out by God to be a reflection of him to the world. And we can't be that if we're too busy living for ourselves and living for our own understandings. And that's what took place here. There was this celebratory moment where all the tribes are going home, where everyone is going back to where, they, where they've come from, where they belong, their celebration. And some folks kind of living for self saw something that they didn't quite understand and they ran at it with ears plugged and mouths open. You can't be a reflection of our God when we run around with our ears plugged and our mouths open. We can't celebrate good things like going home. We can't celebrate if we're too busy living for ourselves and living for our own understandings. Consider how you'll respond to God's word this morning as we stand and sing our response song. I pray that you will find a way to celebrate more, argue less, as we look towards our own homecoming when Christ will return. Will you stand and sing our response song with us?